Welcome to Bleed TV, podcast for fans of amazing TV. And I'm Zach. And I'm Jake. And tonight we're covering Game of Thrones, episode 504, called Sons of the Harpy. Uh, bro, what you think of this one? Man, I really enjoyed this episode. A whole bunch of plot movement, a lot of cool moments, a lot of sad moments, some good character moments. I, was, I just really enjoyed it. I digged it. You know, I have to say, I had a lot of high expectation going into this one, and uh, I was worried that I might set myself up with disappointment, but I really, really enjoyed it. It uh, it hit on all the high notes. Every one of the stories was good. Every character they touched, uh, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And it went fast. Uh, the only negative I will say about it is, is that they cut six minutes off the end of it. Sorry, rascals. Yeah, I almost uh, texted you last uh, Sunday night and uh, see if I was mistaken. But yeah. I was like, man, we got ten more episodes on this, uh, or ten more minutes. And I was excited about it. I was like... Man, Selmy just got stabbed and Grey Worm got fought. And I was like, 10 minutes, more minutes? How are they going to beat that? Cut to black. I was I like, know. really? The credits took several seconds. I, whatever. But, you know, here or there, great episode. Really enjoyed it. Um, the director was Mike Mylot again. Um, and the writer was a name I didn't recognize, a PA. I didn't catch his name. You didn't catch his name? I, honestly, I don't remember his name. But I'll yeah, be honest with you, I was just kind of stunned to see his name. And so I didn't even, I, before I realized, I didn't even write it down. But I just went ahead and walked into the show. Well, for this guy's probably his first writing gig to get a episode four, which is usually a massive episode for Game of Thrones. I mean, pretty ballsy. Props. Yeah. Props, no doubt. Uh, let's go right into that rundown. Um, it starts off with the uh, a boat at sea, and it's kind of dusky out there. <laughs> and then I love this. Jorah smokes this guy. I mean, yes. how, here, here's here's my one complaint about this, though. How does friend not see Jorah on the beach when he's walking up, and then just gets you know basically bitch slapped into the ground? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like you said, it was a bit dusky. You know, he's a Stealth mover at his age. Um, right. And of course, you know, he's got those those bracers on his wrist. It's one punch knock, you know, knock right. him cold out. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. You know, you're coming off the boat, unless he's drunk or completely useless. You don't just get walk up and go, uh, pa, you know, and you're down. Yeah. You know, you've been rowing a long time. Bit sea queasy. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, you know, he grabs Tyrion, and he's over there shaking and fitching. It's like a scene off of Chucky carrying the doll, you know, and chunks him in the boat and thud. And, you know, I get <laughs> it was a little... quite, quite unceremonious <laughs> how he throws him in the boat. But what he was doing is shaking. Did you notice that he had, like, he had like pinned Tyrion to the ground with his sword? Yeah, and he, he was, was trying to use the sword to, to cut his rope. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I thought that was kind of cool. I guess he knew he wouldn't be gone long. But, they had, you know. uh, in this episode, there was a ton of, like, just little... Fine details that if you didn't pay attention, you would have missed. It's yeah. really good. <laughs> it, was, it, it was a way to start an episode. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, the bitch slap, him twitching and trying to cut his rope and then getting tossed in the boat. I mean, Kudos. tossing him in the boat was Kudos. awesome. Kudos. Uh, and then it rolls right into another boat. This was a large, I'm guessing a trade vessel, a merchant vessel, what it was called. Yeah, kind of a merchant ship. And uh, Jamie and Braun are under, you know, under the deck and talking and... <laughs> A great dialogue. Bron is just hitting him right and left. Why are we on this ship? Why don't we have soldiers? You know, I mean, it, another another classic example this season of amazing dialogue between characters that really brings it home. 
Yeah, you know, I was super excited for the Tyrion Varys, you know, mixture and their, you know, back and forth. But I think Jamie and Braun may turn out to be my favorite overall. They just, man, they feed off each other. They both have that smart ass mouth. You know, Braun coming right at him, niece. You know, it's like, it's almost like, <laughs> come on, bro. I mean, you got me on this mission. You don't trust me enough to yeah. call know. it like it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, on, you know, and then he wrote, what I love is, is that he starts giving a description of the Dorn people. You know, they're one of two <laughs> type of people. You know, you're either a fighter or you're a fucker, you know, or, or one leads to the other. Right, one goes right. back and forth. You know, you, you work up a fight for to get that or you do, you know, it was, I, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, Braun by far throws it out there better than anybody on the show. Absolutely. He's a, you know, I don't think we're going to be around for the second part, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love a good fuck to get me ready for a fight. And I love after a fight to have a good fuck. <laughs> but I don't think we're going to be around for that second part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, he just crushes it. I mean, really, he knocks it out of the park every scene he's in. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason, like we talked about last episode, that he is going to Dorne instead of the other guy. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, that actor, God be with him, whatever, you know. Uh, but I think this was the right move either way. You know, it didn't infuse a character that's so loved. Absolutely. And, and, you know, obviously, you can't introduce more characters or even Elon Payne if, they, if it would have kept him in that role. I mean, you would not have that dialogue, which is fantastic. Cause yeah, he's, no doubt. Because you know, he's a mute. So, man, it's just, this is one of the best book diversions they've put in yet. No doubt. Uh, it goes right into Cersei, and she's with her small council. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just before you get too far, did you notice when he was on the boat, the island that they passed by? No, I did not notice. Okay, he asked where that what that island is, and it's Tarth. Yeah, he did. Now, I remember that. Yeah, and that's where Brienne's from. Right, that's the Sapphire Isle. Sapphire that's Isle. You know, I do remember that now you say yeah. that, because uh, Jamie was educating Bronn. Well, it's no, 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 a, it was the other the, way. Bronn No, no told, the captain. The captain of the ship told him where it was. Ah, that's right. When he was up on that's deck. Right. And it's also where, now that you think about it, that's where Bronn questioned, um, you know, like... He questioned why didn't he bring a whole army? Why didn't he bring this? You have your own fleet. I mean, he was just spot on. Every question was legitimate. Right. It was a it was a good informative situation. Right. It, it's it's like exposition without beating you over the head with it. You right. know, it's really well done. But yeah, I love the the kind of callback to Brienne. You know, and the time they spent on the road as captives. And it's like it comes in a complete circle. Absolutely. Know? You know, that's exactly how he you know prevented her from getting raped. Talking about the sapphires on the sapphire isle, and she's worth hundreds of them, you know. And I mean, it's just—I love the little callbacks. Like I said, the little details are oh, yeah. huge. No doubt, no doubt. Um, then it goes into Cersei, Cersei, uh, Cersei, and her small council, and um, they talk about how the Iron Bank has called in a ten percent of their loan. Um, the Master Coin. What's that guy's name? Uh, Mandy. He's- Something it starts with an M. Mance. Mance. No, 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 no. no. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he's. Uh, oh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Basically, a, a, a mustache douche. You know, <laughs> a mustachioed, you know, pansy. Yes, and in a roundabout way, Mace. Mace. Mace Tyrell. It. Mace Tyrell. He. Um, 
He says, you know, hey, we can't afford this, but I'll front the cash. She says, no, um, we need to get new terms. And then she's like, well, we, we need to send somebody who has importance and so on uh, to the Iron Bank. And as soon as she said that, bro, it clicked in with me. I was like, wait a minute. She's finna send him right to Aria. I mean, he just was like, I mean, right there. I was like, wait a minute. He's been to sit up there, and that's where Arya is. And then this guy on her hit list? Well, the Kingsguard that she sends with him, who is Marin Trent, who everyone hates. You know, yes. And Marin Trent is on her list. And, you know, even though they shorten her list, you know, in the first episode we see her, he's still on it. Yeah. You know, so this. Okay, this is something that we'll talk about later in the spoiler section, but, you know, it's a cool diversion. That I think, like you're right, that could very possibly lead to a Arya Marin Trent intersection. Well, it's just funny, like you know, we were talking about the, this season's collision of characters we haven't seen before, and this is clearly a setup to send some people to somewhere where you would never expect to see them or anything. That's going to have a character you wouldn't expect to be there, and it's going to be a really cool situation. Right. So, looking forward to that. Anyway, uh, they go to the small council, and then of course. Um, Somebody makes the comment that the council is getting, you know, dwindling or smaller. And, of course, High Cersei's sale. like, you know. Not small not enough. Not small enough. Yeah. You know? And so definitely a little stab at him. And then it follows Cersei again. And you see on the table, it looks like the note that uh, Littlefinger maybe sent her. Yeah, it's got the Mockingbird on it. So you right. know it's from him. And, um, you know, I think... This is where the High Sparrow was sitting there with her. Isn't that right? Yes. And and I think this this scene in particular can get kind of confusing if you're not a book reader. Uh, I don't know. Did you understand it pretty well? I, I got an idea. It, it was just an opportunity for Cersei to manipulate a way for her to get into things. I mean, bottom line is is that you, you find out a few scenes later that uh, she empowers the High Sparrow to become an armed, not vigilante, but become the new law enforcement of the, you know, I'm guessing. But she does it in her own unique way that makes, you know, you know Price feel good about what he's doing and how he's going to do it. Um you know, and gives them cause, you know, and, but if it's for her end game, it was to, you know, get rid of, of course, you know, Marjorie's brother being one of the centers, knowing that he'd probably be one of the people who gets confiscated for what they're doing. Right. Okay. This group is called the faith militant. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like they talk about, and High Sparrow says it. he says, we haven't been armed in two centuries. Okay. So 200 years ago, the Targaryens took this power away from them because you never want a militant group to be armed and, you know, have the power to arrest whoever they want and question whoever they want. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like any religious group that takes it too far. You know, think of it like the Westboro Baptist church people that are, you know, protesting funerals of soldiers and stuff. It's like, they just take it too far. And that's kind of what this group is like. And once you arm them and give them free reign over, you know, in inflicting their justice uh, based on the seven, you know, you open up a can of worms, really. Oh and boy, did they. And they just run rampant. So I understand Cersei's endgame here and trying to get, 
you know, the Tyrells into some hot water and stuff like that. But I'm not sure she could have expected how much, you know, damage they would cause. You know, I mean, they're taking out small folk and rich folks and Baelish's uh, pleasure houses. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's pretty brutal stuff. I mean, no doubt. I mean, it was, I mean, I, you know, when you think of religious groups like that and them basically punishing people with death for just about anything it was kind of but it, it's just like i say you can compare it to where they want to go to like a, a a radical religion you know where they follow the letter of the law you know and anytime you do that you end up with some you know scare scenarios so you know if it says in the books that laying with another man is punishable by death then they're not in the wrong, you know. There it is. You know, they're punishing it how they're supposed to, you know. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is is that they let Oliver get away. Do you think that um, there was something to that? I don't know. You know, he obviously he walked in and he saw that they were about to kill two homosexual guys, and he took off running because he obviously realized he's in danger. Um, but it's not like they don't know. And it's not like he hasn't confronted them twice. I mean, he was there with the old High Septon, you know, with a beard on and playing the game, and they could have got him right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they weren't empowered yet then. So I'll say, okay, we'll let that slide. But then they bust in the walls here, and he's right there, and he gets in their face, and they just elbow him to the nose. You know, I'm surprised they didn't hold him down and slit his throat, whatever the case yeah, that, be. that was, now that I think of it, that kind of feels like a misstep compared to everything that happened. I don't know, because I look at him as like a, you know, somebody that could maybe talk to Baelish when he gets back in town. Yeah. You know. I guess you have or, to leave leave him for the development. Right. Or, like I said, there could be some more sinister reasons. If they know that Oliver and Loris have been sleeping together on the side and stuff like that, they may be keeping him around for a purpose. You know, a witness or something like that. I don't know. Seems thin. Yeah. But we'll see how it goes. Um, and then continuing right on, uh, Marjorie busts up into the king's chambers. And, you know, is like, why is my brother, you know, jailed? Why is he in a cell? You know, aren't you the king? You know, and, you know, basically kind of provokes him into doing something. And he goes straight to Cersei and, and she plays dumb, blonde, you know, like, I didn't do it, you know. I can't help what they did, da, 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 da. You know, I demand, and she immediately looks at him like, you twerp, you, you're not going to demand to me, you know. Well, you're just, you're talking to the wrong person. Yeah. I, I, my hands are clean, you know. It's it's like plausible deniability, you yeah, know. It was, it was weak sauce is what it was, you know. It, it started showing how we're dealing with a little boy, not a king. You know, oh, Joffrey yeah. would have come in there and he, you know, he was a hell and brimstone, you know, like, <laughs> oh, no, you didn't do nothing without me approving it, you know, at least he would have had a pair. Right. Um, you know, so then he immediately gets his, uh, I guess that's his king's guard. They go yeah. down there and they walk up and he gets shunned. I mean, he just sits there and licks his chops and thinks and so on. And the guy's like, give us the call and we'll dice these puppies in half, you know, and yep. he doesn't pull a trigger. Why not? Well, you, you, you hear him say, he's like, you mean kill him? We're at the set. So he's he's trying to play it cool and be like, I don't want to shed blood. 
in this holy building, you know, because that could send a bad example too. You know, it's like, okay, yes, you can show your power here, or, you know, you could be shunned just as easily for killing a bunch of people, killing a bunch of holy people in a holy building, you know. And maybe a percentage of people will be like, good, you know, they've wrecked my establishment. But I'd say a bigger percentage would be like, you can't do that. Well, there were some people hollering in the background. What was that deal? I, I didn't quite understand that. Well, they were yelling bastard and abomination. So they're talking about him being the spawn of Jamie and his sister. Right. And you understand, Tommen's been shielded from that stuff. He's young, starts to keep some in the background. But now that he's king, he's going to be more in the in the foreground. And he's going to start to hear the rumors. And, you know, even though they're not blatant in his face yet, it won't take long, you know. Yeah. But I still, you know, in a way you wish Joffrey was alive and just been like, gave the order. Uh, cut these peasants uh, down yeah. right here for even breathing my air yeah. is what I, I mean. He would have been like twitching. He'd have been so angry. Oh, and he would have been behind the front row with his crossbow, yeah. taking out the, the you know, side. Put an arrow in that little emblem on their forehead. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt. So we think about that with the. I liked it cool when they were. It switched to the scene and the guy like biting down on a belt. And I had no idea who it was at first. And they were just like carving something in his head. And I didn't know if it was a punishment at first. And then, then you see it and you see uh, Lance will pop up and it's like, geez. Yeah, I never thought it was a punishment because, you know, if it was a punishment, you'd think somebody would be screaming and begging or different thing. You know what I mean? That person was focused. And, and so I, I kind of figured it was something to do since they just showed that, hey, we're going to give the sparrows, you know, ammunition. So that's yeah, what I felt out of it. This is a little more like out there than the books. In the books, hmm. they just carry either robes or a shield with a seven point star on it, not carve it into their foreheads. So even more militant than. Lovely. Lovely. It's going to be hard to get chicks that on your forehead I'm just putting it out there but anyway yeah. uh, it rolls right into where you see Stennis watching John uh, you know practicing his sorting and different things um, and he kind of watches it for a while and he surveys and sees his daughter and um, this is where his wife kind of comes up to him and like oh, she's just creepy you know she yeah. is such a she, she gives him a hard time for having producing. too much interest in John and that he's a bastard, and she says that she should have given him a son, and that their daughter is uh, weak, an embarrassment yeah. to the family, you know, and shameful, and she's diseased, and you know, obviously he has a problem with that. And then Melisandre kind of comes to Shireen's back, you know, and is like, she has king's blood, you know, don't talk down on her. And this is the first time you kind of really see Celise run off. Normally she's all about Melisandre. Burn everybody for all I care, you know. This is the first time you see a little bit of tension, I think. Or even fear, maybe. She has to know. I mean, if the Stannis keeps this girl around, it's not just for advising. Well, no, she does know. Stannis and Melisandre, well, Melisandre told her what had happened. They, She knows that they have had sex and... That created the smoke monster that went and killed Renly. She's aware of that and was okay with it. Because, this remember, this was the scene where you see 
she's kept all the fetuses of all the the dead children. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, Seasons yeah. ago. Showed how really crazy she is. Uh, but yeah, this is where she supports Melisandre 100%. Doesn't matter that her husband's, you know, unfaithful as long as Pork it's... the witch, yeah. Right, as long as it's helping the cause and <laughs> the lure. Furthers her agenda, yeah. Yeah. Um, then it goes to John and Sam, and John's just signing papers, and looks like they're trying. It's some kind of way of getting new soldiers. And yeah, explain this part right here, because they were going through it fast, and, and I only thing I remember was when they got to the part where they're talking about Ramsey. So right. Well, some of this is stuff that's like call outs to book readers, where they kind of give names of small lords around the like they talk about Lord Smallwood. Okay, that's a tiny little place with a little bitty lord, you know, but. Sam is basically saying we need more men. So they're writing to all the lords, small and large, in the whole area of the north, asking for people to be sent to be Night's Watch. You know, second, third, and fourth sons, your prisoners, you know, anybody. Because they need men. You know, they're like he said, we can't guard the wall with 50 men. So that last piece of paper he hits down is Roose Bolton. And it's Winterfell, you know, and he's, that's why he refuses to sign it. But if John's going to be a legitimate Lord Commander and take no part in the politics and the wars outside of the wall... Yeah, and have no personal to yeah. you know, affect the decision. He has to sign it and beg for people. I mean, it's what he has to do. Mm. Tough scene, though. Yeah, yeah. I've been like, let me take a dump on this paper. You know, let me just wipe my ass. Well, it's a tough scene until the Red Lady come and interrupts it. Now... It's a good scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to put it out there. Girl's got a body. Girl knows what she's doing with it. She's using it. I mean, more power to her. Yeah, this is um, this is something I wasn't expecting at all. And for her to just put it out there a lot. What do, what do you think it meant when she said there's power in his blood? And, you know, why, why do you think she wants John? Well, you know, here, you know, of course, if you're just an, you know, like an amateur guy like I am, it makes me think like that she knows something about his past that he doesn't, or that most people don't. And, you know, it, it makes me feel like he's got a connection to even something bigger than Ned Stark. Um, you know, because you know, Ned always said, "Well, you know, he's my son. It was a tavern woman." Um, and, you know, and of course Ned's wife, you know, never really had a hard time accepting, but there was all of that weird tension. And then he goes off to night's wife. It made me feel like there was more to John, you know, that maybe he's not Ned Stark's kid or whoever his mother is, is of royalty or something. I don't know. It makes me think that we're going to learn a lot more about who he really is and, and that maybe he's not a Stark, or you know he is, but he's connected to something even bigger. Okay, I mean I can't say much about it, but and honestly I don't know. I mean it's not it's not in the books yet. You don't know anything about that. You don't know who his mother is specifically, or his background, or anything like that. So, I mean honestly, you you kind of lost to the wind when Ned Stark's beheaded, and you know because he told him he would tell him all about his mother when he saw him again, but. You know, that didn't happen. So, but I'm with you. I, I think it I think it could easily lead to, you know, uh, uh, maybe another royal bloodline that John's attached to. 
you know. Yeah, I mean, they <clears throat> at first I didn't think they were molding him to be such a integral part of this show, but now it's like he's the front runner of becoming the the next Ned Stark, the guy you really love and follow for and go and want to see him reach, you know, maybe even the Iron Throne, who knows, you know, somehow some way, but that's a stretch of bridge too far, but you never know. I mean, right now, is there a character you want to to win the Iron Throne? You know, that you could say is better than Jon Snow? Okay, well, I was going to ask you about this, actually. What do you, what do you think about Stannis right now? Because the show has done a... One especially, especially with the, the scene that we got coming up with his daughter, which is fantastic. I absolutely love that scene. But the show has done such a, a good job of making you like Stannis. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hated the guy. You thought he was just a power-hungry, grubbing brother who, who would kill his own brother in bl- cold blood using a witch. You know, he's porking. Uh, yeah, his first inclination, but no, not a fan of him. This season, it shows that he's using wise judgment. He takes, you know, he finds what's good in people and uses it for their benefit as well as his own. He, you know, he's, you know, like the scene with his daughter, he expresses that, you know, you always be important to me, you know, and what I do for you, you're a royal princess. And, you know, he, uh, he has definitely turned the tide when it comes to fan favor in my mind. Yeah, it's, it's so hard because you can't forget about Renly and what he did. And you can't forget of another character who you love, Brienne, who has an absolute blood vendetta against Stannis. And rightfully so. You know, so you love Brienne, but now you I'm honestly, I'm starting to love Stannis because he's showing all these other sides of him that you never saw before because he's just like stone in the first couple of seasons. But now you see he's, you know, he's an excellent, you know, leader of men and... Uh, judge of talent and you know you just honestly he is probably a little bit too hard you know he almost needs a a partner you know on the throne with him that can kind of even him out a little bit well he's got his right hand man which by the way you noticed was not in the episode today yeah you didn't see davos this time but you know last episode he got a a good scene so i can see why they wouldn't well, of course, the scene you were talking about, it goes to Stennis is talking to his daughter, and the daughter hits him with the right hook of, are you ashamed of me? Yeah. And, and then that story, the background he gives for her Absolutely. about how he brought in everybody, and they stopped it, and you know, they said to send you off for the, you know, what few days you have left, and I wouldn't accept it. You know, you're a, you're a princess with royal blood. I mean... Uh, you know, my wife and I were just sitting there and she was like, that's a real dad, you know? Yeah, all right. So first off, yes, I absolutely love this scene. There's a lot of like, another, like once again, a lot of small details. Like if you see when she comes in and she's messing with the warboard and she pulls off one of the pieces and like lays it down nonchalantly, even though Stannis is talking to her and, you know, being receptive and, 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 and speaking lovely about her, he goes over and sets the piece back. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't. He walks right over the table, sets OCD, it right back huh? where it's supposed to be, you know. And then, you know, all the story of the the doll he bought her and just to make her happy. And as soon as she stuck it to her cheek, she gets grayscale. So you find out that it's actually Stannis who blames himself 
for her getting the grayscale, you know. And I was going to ask you about this too. What do you what do you think about all the mentions of grayscale and the stone men? And you know, you had the scene with Gilly where she talked about her two sisters, you know, having to put out into the woods and they were like monsters. And you've heard uh, Tyrion talk about it, and now Stannis get more into it. And obviously, they're highlighting her with her grayscale. Why do Why do you think they're getting into that so much? I hope. We're fitting to see some real life versions of people who are afflicted with whatever this is and see how it changes them. Is that what contributes to White Walkers? Is that what contributes to some kind of, you know, special evil or something? Is it a whole new subplot? Um, It's nothing but fascinating. And so I'm hoping that that leads to something where. They have to deal with that, or it gives a, a history and a view and so on. And so that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I think it's kind of really cool. I mean, I know a little bit about it from the books and stuff, but you know, they're actually they're they're bringing it in earlier in the show than it does in the books. It becomes a bigger pull, you know, later on in the books, but nothing huge. You know, nothing kind of like it is now in the show. You know, it's just right. kind of, you know feeding little pieces of it in you know so you have it in the back of your mind but i'm I'm with you i think it's super interesting yeah i'm i'm ready to see something like that you know the funny thing about this season is we haven't seen anything with white walkers which is beyond what we consider reality i mean don't get wrong we've seen dragons but it's a it's a more realistic than what we see as white walkers you know what i mean the last season or two, we've had things that were mystical or out of the realm of reality, but they made it work, and it was enjoyable to see. We have not seen anything like that this season. No, and really, honestly, the past couple seasons, I mean, they've they've really lowered the magic scale some, you know. Bringing more into the politics and the plot movement than the mysticism rising. Right. You know? I mean, the stuff with Bran was a stretch. The White Walkers themselves are pretty cool, you know, but we've only had sprinkles. The scene with them and the baby turning into a White Walker out there in that ice temple, whatever it was, a little stretch, but, you know, I'm curious to see where they're going to go with that, but it's, you know, we're in season five, and I've heard winter's coming for five seasons, you know, so I'm ready for that shift or that new intuition to come true and to see some of this new stuff come into play yeah and i'd say judging by some of the you know trailers for the season and stuff i saw some scenes where there's some snow falling you know and i'm thinking okay this is where it's really going to start getting cold i think you know and the I winter so. will arrive yeah i'm with you i mean the white walker plot has moved as slow as anything can you know, you know, so uh, I don't know what that what what that means, like why it's taking so long, but you know, hopefully we get a little movement, not just episode ten where they re- drop one little scene and that's it. I would like to see maybe a couple episodes of some scenes moving their plot forward a little bit too. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the next thing you see, Sansa. Um, in the tombs there of Winterfell, lighting candles, and she finds the feather that uh, that her dad or Robert put in the hand Robert, of that statue. Robert put it in there. Um, you know, they kind of 
you you don't I didn't remember that, but when you saw like before the episode started, they get you know they give previously you the, on you yeah. know, and it shows uh you know Ned and Rob and the feather, and of course it shows Sansa picks this up, and then she talks to old Baelish, and uh, Baelish is finna leave town and tells her good luck, you can do it, you know, <laughs> and uh, I'm still having trouble with this, you know, I just. I don't see Sansa as a strong enough character, a strong enough person for the show, or what they've shown to be able to handle Ramsay or the Boltons in any capacity. Okay, do you do you think that Baelish knows that Ramsay's a psychopath? Absolutely. All right, so why... This is what I'm struggling with as well, is, is, is Littlefinger's motives. Like, I understand what he was saying about Stannis. He's like, Stannis is coming. Just hold on until he gets here. But, like she said, or, well, what if Stannis loses? And he's like, well, just be strong. This will happen, this will happen. You know, if he's aware that Ramsey's a monster, like, why does he... I mean, if he has any affection for her at all... Why does he risk it? Yeah, I mean, I understand you don't want Cersei to think you're, you know, playing her and you want to make show your face or whatever, but I figured the letter was enough you know return letter saying i'm doing this and this and here's the information you wanted i don't know why he has to go himself and i'm not sure he's going to i'm not even sure he's going to go to kingsland he could be totally lying to her and playing her still very true Uh, you know that's just like what he says not knowing his motivations makes him the dangerous man and i'm yet to try to figure out what his end game and all this is because he you know, he was at the Lord. He went to the Vale. He goes in power. He leaves. He's taking her to Winterfell. He leaves. Um, now he's talking about going back to King's Landing, and his place is destroyed, and the place is in an uprising. Why? No idea. I mean, it's it's he is a snake that slithers through every little thing, and I don't see what he's accomplishing that benefits him. Well. It's like you said with the conversation with Varys, and I think it was like season two or maybe even one. We talked about chaos as a ladder. He almost just sows discourse everywhere he goes. You know, he goes to Eerie, kills Lady Liza, everybody's up in an uproar. You know, Sansa kind of saves him, and now he rules the Eerie, you know, for now until Robin's old enough to take it over. You know, gets to Winterfell, you know, gives them a Stark to marry, causes them more problems in the North. You know, everywhere he goes, he, he, he causes a little chaos, and that's where he thrives, you know. So I, I almost think he, he wants all the infighting all over the place. So he just kind of sits in the background and, like, you know, picks up the pieces as they, you know, as they fall, you know. So I think he builds power with every little bit of infighting he starts i can see that but it's a weird way to build power by being the snake in the grass around every situation well look where he's at you know he he started as a you know up jump you know lord of a a dump uh, the fingers becomes master of coin on the small council you know screws over ned and gets heron hall so now he's over that massive castle and all its lands and then goes to the eerie kills lysa now he's powerful on that 
You know, he's got Sansa. He has that in his back pocket. You know, he's he has single-handedly gained tons of power just with knowledge and screwing people over. He hasn't well, shed a he just puts drop people, of blood. Yeah, he's never even lifted a sword except the knife he put to Ned's throat. Yeah, and I guess you could count Lysa's body dashed on the rocks. But, you know, he really slick, man. And like That's why he's so dangerous, you know. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. But wait, before we get too far though, what do you what do you think about the story he told her? Did you did you understand about the his whole story? Mother or her aunt? Right. The most beautiful and the the was it a Tarkarian that bypassed the his, whole reason the the war and everything like that is because he chose the aunt instead of his wife. Correct. Okay. This is really cool because this is a big time book thing and this is pretty much right out of the book. And this is a story that any book reader knows, okay? Because this started Robert's Rebellion, okay? The Mad King had got some information and was actually told by Varys that his son, Prince Rhaegar uh, Targaryen, was possibly sowing discourse against his father, okay? And was going to have a big tournament at Harrenhal. Now, the Mad King was super paranoid, would never leave the castle, but because of this, he decided to come out. And that's the reason why he was at the the tournament. Okay? So that was just the beginning part of it. And then, like they talked about, Rhaegar won the tournament, defeating Selmy in a big battle at the end. And what you do is you get... What they call in the book is crowning the queen of uh, love and beauty, I think is what it's called. Okay, and he had a crown of winter roses. And he passed his wife, who is Ilya Martell, who was the Dornish wife or whatever. The whole reason why the Red Viper was there, because she was killed and stuff, and her children. Passed her up, went to Lyanna Stark, and gave her the crown. Okay. And then, like you see, you get a couple different stories. Sansa says he kidnapped her, raped her. And then Robert killed him, you know, in the big battle of his rebellion. But then you hear the story from um, Barristan Selmy where he, well, he loved to sing. And he gave all the money he made to the other singers or the poor people. And, you know, he hated killing and, you know, never enjoyed it. All he wanted to do was sing and be merry, you know, and have a drink with his, his buddy, you know. So you get these two different stories of some think he kidnapped Lyanna and raped her repeatedly before Robert was able to get there and kill him. And then you have the other people that are like, no, Rhaegar was a gentle soul who hated killing and and they had a secret love affair and they just went off together. You know, so... Hmm. So, when Robert came to the crypts that time and that's why he was so angry... And, you know, it's why he hates Targaryens, because he was madly in love with Lyanna Stark. And that's why he put the feather in her hand in the crypts. And so you kind of get that little backstory, and it was, it was really cool, you know, yeah. to get that lore. You know, you get, you get the stuff you didn't get to see, you know. Well, it gives you kind of like a prequel to what we started with to know why and where it began. Right, and it... It's kind of why a lot of people clamor for a prequel season of Game of Thrones because there was so much 
so much cool stuff that they could go way back and start from there and then do again. I swear to you, there could be... I mean, I know the Star Wars prequels ended up like dog shit, but Game of Thrones could legitimately get new showrunners and stuff like that, start at the beginning and come forward to this part, and it was it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no doubt. Really, really enjoying it. Um, the next part we talked about was uh, you see Braun on the rowboat first thing of comedy i really enjoyed they're rowing and you can see bronze getting tired and he's like he looks at him and jane just lifts his you know his hand like what do you want me to do <laughs> you know <laughs> i thought that was money put that damn thing in the water and start yeah, paddling with her. <laughs> move that mother you know and uh, <laughs> you know and so of course they they get on shore and you see jamie falling asleep and all of a sudden a blade right by his face and it kills the worst imitation-looking snake I've ever seen on television. <laughs> Minus the 60s when they had a true rubber hose and somebody painted eyes on it. But this thing was atrocious. I don't know if you noticed, but this horrendous coral snake. <laughs> it was the widest, fattest coral snake you'll ever see. I know. <laughs> and it was rigid. had 90-degree angles when it was picked up. I mean... <laughs> Give me a break. But how about who went low ball on the bitch, you know, on the snake? Give me a break. How about how they ate it, though? Just get a branch and wrap it around it and put it over a fire. You saw Jamie's way of eating it. Chunked it behind him. I think not. And just kind of toss it behind him. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, come on. Come on. Uh, You know, uh, don't do that again. Um, Then, of course, they hear... You know, some horsemen or some people coming searching, and they look, and there's four of them. And he asks them the question, How many can you take? <laughs> One if he's slow. <laughs> you know, but and they come out there, and of course, they realize their their footprints have been noticed. They come on out, and they start talking to him. And, you know, and they, this is the first time I think I've ever heard, or I remember hearing that he mentioned, Well, yeah, we're such and such from Flea Bottom, you know. Uh, Cooper and uh, what was Jamie's name? Something the D or Devin, Devin or something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Was... Oh, from Flea Bottom. Oh, my accent gave me away. You know, we uh, we see Braun think on his feet. You know, and try to avoid the violence. Yeah. You know, but man, I love Braun. He's just such a badass. Put your swords on the ground now. You know, and he puts that thing. You know, I like how he stabbed it. In the, as soon as he stabbed it in the sand, where it's still sticking up, I was like. We're fitting to have blood. Yeah. It's fitting to be on. Well, it's kind of cool because that's like a distraction. It's like, hey, here you go, and stick it in there. Everybody's eyes would have drawn to that, you know. And then he just takes the dagger out and throws it in dude's neck. And yeah, I mean, just brutal. And then of course, you know, slices dude's horse. And yeah, I think he'll be slow enough. Yeah, I mean, that's a uh, great line. Right in the middle of battle. I'm gonna take care of the rest of them. You can handle this one. Take care of my light work. And this was the first scene of Jamie fighting, you know, with his left hand being dominant and so on. Didn't look terrible, but he was playing pure defense the whole time. It was time. all defensive. Yeah. He, yeah. he never – I don't think I remember seeing him throw one stroke, you know. At a, I didn't see a single advance. Yeah, like, it was kind of uh, Mayweather-esque. Oh, you know, God. Yeah, don't get me started. Chicken fighting. <laughs> <laughs> don't hit me, bro. Don't hit me. Yeah. Uh, uh, we had a we had a viewer comment come in and say that um, 
Uh, I think her name was, let me look it up. It was Sarah. No, Sarah. It was Stan. And Stan says that, uh, what do you call it? This fight scene was better than the Paquin fight. You know, I was oh, yeah, like, Pacquiao. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Not a, not a fan. Uh, but I, man, I love the way they stage the scene, though. They're like, they have the big dune that he's rolling down, and you see, and you do get to see that he's, you know, acrobatic enough to get himself into position. You can tell he was a sword fighter. But, you know, just so weak with his left hand and, you know, doesn't have the agility with it. And yeah. I love when no he... No confidence. Yeah, but I think he'll actually use that hand again now that he sees you know, his usefulness. I was really expecting him. I thought he was going to be like hold his forearm up and like block it. I didn't expect him to catch the blade, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I knew the hand was going to come into play somehow. I thought he might hit him over the head or use it somehow a defensive mechanism. Didn't want to expect him to catch it. Uh, I don't. But I think it I worked. I think it, it was a good, good little, good little way of uh, incorporating it. I don't think he even remembered that he didn't have that hand. I think he was literally just like out of instinct. Well, I, I mean, the only way I have a chance of surviving is if I just grab this blade. You know, yeah, it'll probably chop into my hand, and I'll, you know, won't be able to use it. But only chance of survival. And then when it caught, I was. I think he was just like snapped into reality. All oh. of a sudden, oh right. yeah, I forgot. And then stuck the dude, you know. Oh yeah, like and tossed him down the hill, you know. Yeah. So and then I got to think about, it. I was like, man, he tossed him down that hill. Then he wanted to bury him. All it's like Braun had to drag his ass all the way up that hill. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think I told him you better grab that one hand and start a pulling. Grab a rope. That's another thing. You got horses. I mean, you can let the horses pull the body somewhere. I I didn't get that, but. Who knows? I mean, I that's know. a minor. Go throw them in the ocean, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not digging holes. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Well, then it leads to a person on a horse galloping really good, and it's um, uh, Oberyn's mistress, uh, or girlfriend, whatever you want to call it. And she, we finally meet the Sand Snakes, um, the three sisters, you know, Oberyn's daughters. And, uh, you know, she lets them know, there's, you know, here's the situation. Um, then we got some information from the ship captain. And this is what Braun was talking about when they were talking. They were like, you gave him a big bag of gold, but his information he could sell is just as valuable. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, you see him whip the bucket off the head, and here he is. And, um, talking about how they smuggled Jamie into the Dorn with another person. And... Uh, she basically says, you know, we've got two choices. We can do it this way, sit back and take it, or we can fight and create the rebellion to avenge your father. You yeah, know? start a war, basically. Yeah. And of course, the first two immediately, yes, yes. And then the third one comes over there and talks and grabs her spear and throws it from about, yeah, I'm guessing, 25 feet. And it's a dead sit center. <laughs> you know, this guy's little head. Yeah, it's um, kind of skewering. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and be honest with you right now. Was not impressed with this little setup and scene. The three sisters do not. When you saw the quick previews and before the season ever started of them by this tent, I didn't envision the three. They just didn't meet my expectations. They didn't look like three badasses. They looked like three little girls dressed in clothes and one of them threw a spear from 20 feet away and that was it it was 
the the mistress looks more creepy, scaring, and intimidating than the three little girls. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say Obara. Okay, if you don't know their names, they're it's Nymphadora, uh, Obara, and the one that I don't even think they say her name is um, Tyene. I think. Okay. Anyway, weak sauce. All three of them. Sorry. I. And I know we haven't gotten to the best and worst part of this episode for me, but this was definitely it for me. And it's not that I don't like the sand snakes in the book. In the book, they're they're slightly cheesy in the book too, you know. But I don't know what it was. I don't. I think it's mainly the actresses playing the role and some of their writing. I guess I just did not care for them at all. No, I'm I'm right there with you. I'll, I'll go ahead and say this was the worst part of the episode. I yeah, mean, I'll tell you that too. right now. These three. I don't like who they cast. They all look small. They don't look threatening. The when they spoke, it didn't empower. It didn't. There was zero fear or intimidation that I could see anyone taking from them. Yeah, I mean, Obara. They made a little more, you know, tougher looking. She's got a breastplate on. You know, she handles the spear. She has a little speech. She talks about. You know, you could choose the spear or tears, and uh, and I, I like that part, and I like her throwing a spear through a guy's head. But you know, when when what's her name? God, what's her name? I can't believe I can't remember Red Viper's mistress's name. Um, anyway, when she rides up, and the first one's just like "Mommy," you know, I was just like, "Ugh." That was first first words out of their yeah, mouths were right out of the gate. Mom, it was bad, you know. And then when she's like, "What's y'all's decision?" That one just like immediately walks up, and she just seems like a uh, like a little child, you know. And then the other one with the whip, you know, okay, cool scene. You whipped off the thing, but you know, you don't say much. You know, y'all don't look very intimidating, and and maybe that's what they were going for that they could kind of be uh, undercover badasses, but. First off, I just don't like the actresses so far. I mean, I, I'm not a fan. No, I think we definitely misfired on this part. I think, like you said, the actresses don't embody what we're looking for. Expectations, they don't meet it. The writing was not great right there. I do like the little story about Avira, you know, Oberyn and you know how he was, who he was. But overall, it was uh, it was a letdown. Um, yeah, I think so. And I'm not even sure what my expectations were for him or if they met him or didn't meet him. I just I just really wasn't a fan of this whole scene. Right. I mean, they need to be more intimidating than the Sons of Harpy look like. And the Sons of Harpy are way more intimidating than these three. And these are supposed to be skilled, amazing yeah, season killers. killers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, buh. Um Next thing's Jorah and Tyrion in a boat. <laughs> Tyrion's over here, ooh, ooh, you know, and finally removes the gag. And uh, I think Tyrion might be singing. He might be singing the Bear and the Maiden Fair. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you remember in Ghost where he's irritating Whoopi Goldberg and he's like, Henry VIII, I am. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, all yeah, that? yeah. I think that's kind of what Tyrion was doing here with the Bear and the Maiden Fair. Because, I mean, Jorah is a bear and he's aware that he's, you know, um, House Mormont, you know what I mean? From his well, you stuff. know, he doesn't, he, 
the way the show made it look like was that he figured that out after he had the thing out of his mouth. Very, very possibly. But there's only a couple songs in Game of Thrones you, you ever hear, and that's Reigns of Castamere and The Bear and The Maiden Fair. And I'd have to go back and watch it, but I bet if you if you just like follow his humming and stuff like that, I bet he's singing. I bet he's just being an irritant, you know. Possible. But do love when he does remove the gag and he like deduces everything. Oh yeah, he looks around, sees the patch, the shield, and all that stuff, and immediately figures out who he is, only to get the second victim of a bitch slapping of the bracers. Yeah, the bracers. <laughs> I mean, Jorah. Who knew? Wrist slapping bastard. They can you know take some folks out. Who needs a weapon when you got them mitts? Yeah, I mean. Bear power. It's a spirit as animal, you know. Yeah. Spirit animal. <laughs> but, but I, but I do like that. See, this is here's the difference. Jor had barely has to speak. I mean, in this whole scene, I don't think he says much at all. And no, Tyrion but you love does it. all the talking. But, but you love Jor as a character, and he he can show you so much just with a look and how he's you know, you know, positioned his face and how he acts and. Doesn't have to say a word, and then you love it. Well, no. Well, Tyrion called him out. Well, you're you're here. You were far away. You're you know, either you're probably exiled. You think yeah. I'm your meal ticket, and blah blah blah. And then, pow! There he's down. Absolutely. And honestly, I think Tyrion was a little too heavy-handed. You know, no pun, but he, he was coming <laughs> at him. You know what I mean? And you saw when he got up, he was like lifting his hands up, like he thought he was going to untie him, and then he gets jack slapped. You know, brutalized, but. Yeah, I thought Tyrion was a little too harsh. You know, yeah, I mean, you're a captive. You know, watch your tongue every once in a while. Yeah, for a first date, you didn't even get close to first base with that kind of conversation he was running with. No, no, brutalized with a strikeout. Oh, no doubt. Um, then, of course, you know they were talking. You know, he talked about how well you're going the wrong way, different queen. <laughs> da, da, West da. is Westeros. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of slapping him with his commentary, but. Um, and then of course it goes right to Danny, and it's Danny and um, Sir Barristan. Sir Barristan, and this is where he gives a great. You know, we were talking about earlier with the sand right. story. He talks about you know the past and her kin and how things were different with the Mad King. And well, this uh, is a, a, the second mention of Rhaegar in this episode, and, and so. She seems really infused and excited about the information she gets, and. You know, just like you said the other episode, as soon as some people start doing things that make you like and appreciate them, the show tears your heart out. You know, oh, what yeah. I mean? no doubt. Um, and so uh, she she tells them, "Go on down, you know, and you know, be among the people, with all that stuff." Mm-hmm. And about that time, you see sons of a harpy start ambushing everybody. You know, they the soldiers, the unsully, and everything. Um, and I, bro, I'm gonna tell you up front. I had some problems with these parts right here. You know, uh, the unsully are supposed to be some of the deadliest soldiers out there. No fear, no pain, no nothing. And these are rich, spoiled kids or masters, not fighters. People of prominence, money. And so on. And I would think that even if you're outnumbered two to one, three to one, that you don't 
you don't go down as easy as some of these Unsullied did. It just really baffled me because, yeah, Grey Worm's a leader of them, and yeah, and he's a great fighter. And we see that, but Grey Worm takes out, I would say, at least eight, ten, maybe more. And some of them Unsullied don't even get a scratch on some of the other ones in their toast. Okay. Didn't like this part. Let's start from the beginning. All right. Um, first off, that same prostitute is screwing people over again. Yes. And that looks like that's uh, second sons that get uh, ambushed at first. So that's some Madario's people that get their throat slit with the prostitute. Okay, with the Unsullied, here's the deal. I agree with you. It's tough to see them so easily dispatched by these sons of the harpy. But here's the thing. In the book and on the show, no one knows who the sons of the harpy are. It's never explicitly told. All right? It's not been unveiled in the in the books yet, okay? So, the sons of the harpy could be the old military that was in marine. It could be paid sell swords from the rich people. It could be rich sons and like you're talking about um which is why maybe some of them are easily dispatched and some of them can fight you know you just don't know and that's what makes them kind of scary is because you anyone next to you could be a sons of the harpy and you wouldn't have no no clue you know until they put the mask on you have no idea well me me not being a book reader the show hasn't done anything to make me think these are skilled warriors right i think what the show did was use numbers okay where they try to outnumber the unsullied and ambush the unsullied well, that's the only thing that gave this little part any credibility because it looked like six versus 20 or two versus eight you know what i mean right and yeah you're probably not going to make it but you're going to make it where only a couple of them are left you know you might go down but i'm gonna take some of you with me not everybody will. i mean there was part where two unsullied were ambushed and not a single harpy was hurt. Not one. Oh, absolutely. And and here's the deal, too. And they explained this a little bit in Season 2 when the Unsullied were got. Or Season 3. Um, the Unsullied are like kind of like Spartans. They use like a phalanx system. Where they're, you know, like they protected Danny with, with their shields and stuff like that. And they are trained in the spear. The longest weapon. Okay. Now, on an open field... They're the baddest dudes you could ever have, okay? Because of their defense with their phalanx and their spears, no one could get near them. They just crush everyone. And you see the Sons of Harpy use that to their advantage. And you see how they pull them into a tight corridor. Or a contained space. Right. Where you can't you know, easily flail around with that spear. And you can't creep the phalanx because you're, you're caught on both sides, you know, all around you. So... I agree with you that the show doesn't do a good enough job of of explaining, you know, the capabilities of the Unsullied versus how how well planned the Sons of the Harpy are ambushing. Our only example of a Sons of Hambar of Sons of Harpy assassin is the guy who was hiding, you know, and you know Dario, you know, stabs him in the leg, and I mean that's the only visual we have. The other one is a person walks up to a, a guy who has eyes closed and clutches his throat. Neither one of these show a person who is a skilled assassin or fighter. Right, but you but you do see the intelligence and you do see the scheming. You see where they use a prostitute that, that 
that they know an unsullied comes to visit, you know, and is like, okay, we'll throw her a few coin and she'll get the guy here and we'll cut his throat. You know, we'll set this first example. You know, you see where they wait for Unsullied to come out and then they just converge on him and slit their throat, you know, and kill him. You know, it's where the Unsullied have no fear with a little bit less intelligence. You know, the Harpy are probably a little more cunning and use their mind to to get the advantage. You know, and I, I agree with you. I agree with you. The fact that Grey Worm is so much more deadly than his unsullied brothers, you know, is a problem for me as well. But I do like Grey Worm getting his day in the sun and you get to see how much of a badass he is, you know. But, you know, sometimes you see they're attacking him one at a time and stuff like you see in movie tropes. and But then sometimes you see him get stabbed in the ribs while he's cutting another one. And that's a good thing. You know, that's a, that's a something you don't see a lot in TV and movies, you know? And then, like you say, tearing your heart out with, with Barristan coming in and having a badass scene for himself, you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, when I was, when I think about him and the way you've talked about him in the past and, you know, like even when he was there and he was dismissed as the Kingsguard, you know, people would talk to him like he, he could carve up a room of eight to ten people and not have a scratch on him. You know, that's how good of a swordsman he was. Carve up five Kingsguard. You know, and when he walks in there and I'm like, oh, I don't care if there's five, eight, ten harpies. This guy is legit, you know. And yeah, he kills majority, if not almost all of them, but you know, I think it's sliced and stabbed and, yep. you know, almost, I was like, what, what? I was like, really? I thought, you know, this guy was going to be untouchable. And, and be honest, I think he would have been if he had his armor on, you know, if he had his armor on, he would have come in there and just cleaned house on these people. And you got to understand when he's in battle, he's wearing his armor. When he's an attorney, he's wearing his armor. It's just it's just like Jorah when he was fighting the Dothraki guy that turned against them. You know, he had his armor on. Saves you. You know, you may not be as good a fighter, but it'll save you. But you take armor and you put it on top five swordsmen in the world, I mean you got a killing machine, you know. So understand that he was just going for a stroll in the street and he had a sword on him. But he was just in leathers and, and cloth, you know. And like I said, they were super outnumbered. So it only takes one, you know, cowardy guy to, you know, stab him in the back while he's fighting another guy, you know. But I was super surprised by this. These guys are alive in the books. So whether or not they both die or one of them dies, it's still going to be a huge surprise to me because I definitely didn't see this coming. And. I'm going to, I mean, if either one of them are gone, I'm going to super miss them as a character. There's no doubt. I'm just, it's not who we predicted. I mean, you talked about Grey Worm. I was close with Grey Worm. You said Grey Worm. And and when there was six run there, they didn't show the mask. And all of a sudden that mask came off. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I might have to hear it from you, this whole damn (laughs) cast. You know? And I was like, wait a minute. Barristan's down there. Something's going to give. And that's when I kind of, as soon as he showed up, I was like, we just had a moment with him talking to Danny and it was all sentimental and so on. I was like, 
Shit. He's toast. They both look bad. They both look really bad. I mean, Barrison's completely unconscious, and well, and Grey Worm like crawls over to him, and he passes out. Yeah, if I remember the fight, Grey Worm's got two wounds. He got stabbed in the ribs, and he took a lancing shot across the arm or leg. I think it was like the shoulder. Yeah, it was something. The only puncture he's got is the knife in the in the rib. He he pulled it out, and you saw his little six inch blade. And he might have had some other like lighter wounds. Yeah, but I'm nothing not sure. we would call a catastrophic. Right. Barrister had four. He took a slice across the leg. He took a slice across the back. He got stabbed with the sword. The thing was, is he took a stab near the lung heart region, you know, and that's the yeah. I know that'd be had, the fatal error. Yeah, he had three. I mean. He had three to the body yeah. and one to the legs. Um, yeah. And he almost got the throat. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. He's toast. I would assume, and, you know. When we talk about the previews, we'll, we'll, we'll go yeah, down that road. We'll, we'll dive a little more into it. Um, but either way, man, really really sad, really sucks. You know, a, a character I really love from the books and and really in the show he's been fantastic as well and really is Danny's best advisor you know I know he's kind of you know a warrior first and maybe gives a little more mercy than necessary sometimes but who else are you going to listen to well he's the last sound advisor other than her little uh, that girl who's a right hand man you know Grey Worm's little girl uh, Miss Sandy um, so yeah really her counsel is about to be nothing yeah, I, but maybe like you say, they're opening up room for Jorah and Tyrion. You know, you hope. Man, I hope that's a, a whoo, that's a stretch. <laughs> anyway, credits roll, and that's the end of the episode. Six to eight minutes short, by the way. Yeah, um, I feel a bit robbed. Yes, uh, that was that could be a tie for our next part, which is best and worst. Uh, that could be a tie for the worst, is that they cut our show seven or eight minutes. Yeah, I could have taken six minutes of Brienne and Pod, you yeah, know, chatting I mean, it up. Yeah, like Pod it. and the Rod, come on. Just anything. Uh, but I'll go ahead and start. I think we both agree. Worst part of the episode was sand no doubt snakes. the Sand Snakes, the introduction, their whole little deal, uh, complete misfire by the hiring of the actresses, the writing of the scene, as well as the action was not what I call up to par. We didn't see anything special. We Just saw meh. the, yeah, a lot the of meh. Um, you know, a, di- a close second for worst part, the person who did the snake effects, uh, <laughs> you know, the right angle snake or basically what looks to be a vacuum hose painted black and red and painted eyes on it with little styrofoam balls. It was the, the worst prop snake, snake ever. ever. <laughs> so, um, my son has a stuffed animal that looks a lot like it. Yeah. Oh, well, all right. Best part. I'll start it off. Uh, I'm going with Jamie and Braun. Um, my favorite part was, believe it or not, them on the boat talking about Dorne and seeing the island of Tarth and all that stuff. Like that. I really enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, I really love the fight scene they have later. I think it's good. And that's just Braun. Uh, but this is like the first part where Braun re- this season really gives a full dialogue and gets into it 
fantastic. I'm just, I'm really, really loving the season's dialogue and the, the writing of these characters, meeting each other and talking. And this was another high point example. Really, really enjoyed it. I can't disagree with you, but um, my favorite scene, honestly, was Stannis and his daughter, Shireen, and their conversation about the grayscale and how he told everybody to go to hell and, you know, you're my daughter and you're a princess. You know, I just... I think you're right on point. you got to realize, there was tons of good scenes. Oh, it was loaded with them. I mean, you're talking about Stennis. We're talking about the conversation on the boat. The fight scene with Jamie and Jamron. It was, was Money in the Bank. Uh, Littlefinger and Sansa, the well, old story. Yeah, I mean, that was great background. I mean, it talked about that and the whole story. You know, the feather and the how it all around circle. Uh, and Jorah and Tyrion. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was just... I just packed. I just like the fact that, and honestly, it scares me a little bit. But, but you're so torn because, once again, now you have a great character moment of Stannis. Let your guard down a little bit, and it's like, oh shit, Stannis is gonna get stabbed in the back by somebody in the next episode. You know? Oh so yeah. Now, <laughs> now look. Oh, well, this show it. is going. He'll 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 see the throne in the distance. And, you know, an arrow pokes out his chest and he falls and moving on, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> Davos, you're up. Yeah, right. Come on, you know, stubs. Let's go. Yeah. So, but man, I just, I just really, really enjoyed all the small details of that scene. Like I said, resetting up the warboard, you know, she gives him a big hug and it takes him a few seconds before he actually wraps his arm around her. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, you could tell it like he's, he's such a a stone and stoic human being that like the emotion is more taxing on him than anything. Yeah. You know, but Oak, you know, but I mean, I just, I just love that little bit of, of like fear you get because he had such a good character moment. And, but then you're torn because you can't forget about the bad shit he's done in the past. Right. So it's, it's kind of like Jamie. It's like Jamie threw a little kid out of a window you know yeah he's banging his sister he's banging his sister he's got all this horrible shit in his past yeah he kills ned's bodyguard he yeah you know i mean just all kind of you know season one two you know low life hope he die and then when he's going through all that torture you're like heck yeah and then he turns around and then ends up becoming his savior yeah as soon as brienne got involved with jamie you did a complete 180 and now if jamie were to die you'd be like motherfucker I this know. Sucks. Now it's like Stennis and Jon Snow. Stennis comes into play with Jon Snow. Now we have a 180. You realize who he is. There was conversations. That's a. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really good with that. Um, no farewells this week. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say a farewell, even though we p- think we know one. Uh, uh, if it's true, we'll know next uh, next episode, and we'll do a proper send off for one, <laughs> two, or whatever. Um, I'll give a farewell to the boat captain that took a spear to the face. He had a couple lines, you know, and <laughs> yeah. got it rough with scorpions yeah. no, on his head. I'm and, the, I wouldn't even count. I wouldn't count. Yeah. But Anything associated with sand snakes, I'm not calling a farewell. <laughs> so moving on. No yeah. music, no nothing. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, but other than that, I think we call that a wrap. Um, you know, we'll, we'll play the music and do our little spoiler section, and we'll have a preview breakdown. We got a good one this time. Um, got a little bit, I got some good feedback on some things, and a couple viewers who had some kind of unique predictions to the future, and a little bit of book comparison. Uh, you got anything else before we wrap it? No, man, I'm good. Uh, thanks for listening, and don't forget to hit us up at, at Bleed TV Podcast on Twitter and Bleed TV Podcast at gmail.com.
Absolutely. Uh, see you after music. If not, later. This is Play TV. Alright, uh, we're back. Um, bro, let's go right into the preview breakdown. Licking my, just licking my chops here. This, of course, the first thing that you see is Danny's, you know, misty. It's blue, you know, the screen. She's, you can tell she's upset. And then it flashes to a quick scene of somebody on the slab. Yeah, um, it's a uh, shaped it. body. Yeah, Barrington all the way. Yeah. Uh, it's a little heavy set to be the worm. and uh, Yeah, worm weighs about 140 pounds. So anybody that's over 5 foot 9, it's definitely not worm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really, yeah, really, really, it looks like Barrington's not going to make it. And yeah. this is going to be a tough pill to swallow when it comes to the next episode absolutely and what kind of retribution is she gonna bring out you know is she gonna want to try to hunt them down or is she gonna try to change things to you know get them to see her way we'll see um but then it flashes to danny in a dark dungeony area with um is it dario was it got her dario dario um and then the really cool scene where you see the dragon like blow fire right at you you know um so evidently we're gonna get the we're gonna bring the dragons back out maybe so maybe we'll see you know i can i can see with the death of barristan and dario being her main nudge now you know of what direction she should go you know he's already mentioned you need your dragons you need your dragons people need to know why you're not the dragon queen without your dragons you can't you have no power without them so i could see her wanting to you know give it a second shot you know to you know, I honestly I don't know what dragon that was. That could have been Drogon. And could have been. He's out on the lamb, so we'll see. Yeah. Um Then it shoots to a scene where Ramsey is porking some girl from behind and I you know, it was really fast and so I had to go back and pause and I was like, Oh my god, Sansa? No. You know, like we really finna see Sansa take it and it's not her. Thank the Lord. No. My wife was up in a revolt. She was up and on her up on the couch like oh hell no you know and uh <laughs> no, of course just, the next little scene is girl. sansa walking up you know and so you kind of realize it's not her do we know who this character is that he's uh yeah that's you remember when sansa first shows up and it pans over to the torture chicks all those girls that helped him torture theon and you remember the girl that like was with him and through the woods and chasing down that other girl and she ends yeah, up yeah. putting an arrow in her, and then the dogs eat her alive. That's his like number one torture slut, you know. That he's <laughs> it's his girlfriend. There's a title, torture <laughs> slut. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, and you remember in the when Stanza first shows Stanza, Stanza first shows up, they pan over to them, and that girl is not too pleased. Yeah, give that Stanza's around. Yeah, so. And then you hear like a little word from Ramsey talking about, you remember what happened to the last person who bored me? Right. You know, and that's not good. And you don't want to see no, Ramsey in his no. dark mode. Because then it goes right into Brienne saying that, you know, um, Sansa's in more trouble. Yeah, than she's she knows. in more trouble and doesn't even realize it, you yeah. know. And so you can definitely tell she's concerned and what's going to go there. Um, and then it pans to John 
and he's talking to the wilding. What's that big guy's name? You know, Tormund. Tormund. Uh, he stands up in anger, and I'm guessing that this is this next episode is going to have something to do because it shows like all the men leaving Castle Black, and I'm, you know, uh, whatever he says to Tormund. Uh, doesn't look like it's good news or doesn't look like something he's going to settle with. Um, uh, it sounds like he said, though, to Tormund that we need to head south, which means they're leaving the wall and heading south. Now, surely not with Stannis. I don't see it. And they you see in the follow. trailers, you see John and Tormund fighting together. Looks like on each other's side. So, so I am curious. Yeah, what changes that reunites them is what I want to know. Well, now, Tormund is very fond of John. You know, you knew that when John was with the Wildings, that they were fond of each other and they're friendly. And the fact that he didn't torture him and hang him or burn him alive or whatever the case may be, it was, it was honorable to him and, you know, healed his wounds from the battle and stuff. And so I could see this respect still being there with Tormund. You know? Right. And well, honestly, I'm happy to see him come back with a bigger part because I, I love his character. Yes, I really, really enjoy him. He is a proven badass. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, John says, you know, winter's coming and you know what comes with it. Yeah. Um, then you see, like I said, you see the scene of all the marching. Like I said, I'm guessing that's Stannis' men leaving Castle Black because if it's Castle Black, it'd be a small little posse. It wouldn't be that. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be that, Garrison. <laughs> this tiny stroll of yeah, young men. see one heavy set fellow and about 40 other jokers, you know? <laughs> So. We'll leave 10 uh, barmaids here to protect the wall. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Eesh. And then, of course, the last part of the preview, you see Tyrion, and you see his eyebrows just roll up in the back of his scalp when he's in you. Of course, it shows the dragon go over, and this is that monumental scene of him yep. seeing the dragon first time. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to that because that was a big thing in the book about how much Tyrion's biggest dream as a child was to see a dragon. Now... None of this is in the book. Tyrion does not see a dragon in the book. So this is all new to me, and I look forward to seeing it. It'd be really cool. Cool divergence from the book. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was in the preview. Um, man, th- this is this preview has given me the most to salivate for, for the future. You know, because we're finally going to know where Jon and Stannis are going. We're going to know, we're going to see the dragon become a player, and Tyrion has reached Marine. Maybe. You know, we don't know how far. That's true. The dragon could be Drogon somewhere else. Is yeah. flying around. We don't true. know how far around. But you can, you can incur that there could be a situation there. Possibly, um, yeah. But the thing of it is, is, yeah, maybe they're reaching Marine, or. I don't know. From the previews and stuff, you, you really see, you know. It looks like they're going through like a canal. Yeah. Of an area, not what not what Marine looks like. Maybe getting close to Marine, but they're one of those outlier cities like Estepor or something like that. Well, it was kind of a foggy, you know, location. It looked like about it was in the course it was, but they were still in the sea. Is Marine reachable by the sea? Yeah, it's on the water. Okay, so, um, so like I said, it, I'm really salivating to see where it's going to go now. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. I think it's going to be on the money. Um, let's talk about um. You know, we really didn't talk about feedback in the regular show because most of our feedback this time had a lot of really kind of cool predictions or what I would kind of, kind of a little bit spoiler stuff. And I only picked a few of them, but they um, they talked about 
you know, that one of the listeners, you know, like I said, we're talking about how we sent um, the Master of Coin up there to Bravos, the, the Iron Bank. What what are your thoughts on that? Because you talked about earlier how we might talk about this in spoiler, you know. Okay, so we'll we'll get into a book difference here. One of the book differences I was going to talk about anyway. All right. Arya is in Bravios, Bravios in the books, okay? And she does intersect with a character, all right? But it's not Marin Trent and Mace Tyrell. It's actually Sam Tarly and another black brother, okay? Really? Yeah, all right. So, Fat Sam. Fat Sam. Okay, I'm not gonna tell how you. Does, how does I'm not gonna tell you how? <laughs> how in the hell does Fat Sam end up in Bravos? What? You don't tell me, but I mean, I'm not gonna tell you how why it, what the circumstances are. Okay, but Fat Sam uh, and another black brother are in Bravos. Okay, now what happens? And I I like the looks like the change they're trying to make here, possibly with Marin Trent. Uh, being involved is in the books Arya kills one of the black brothers okay because Arya realizes that this guy has abandoned the black brothers and is just gonna hang out on bravos and drink and sleep with whores and and is just living it up productive member of society right but you gotta understand where Arya comes from Arya comes from the north She's Ned Stark's child. You don't abandon the Night's Watch. That's immediate uh, execution. You know death. So in the books, Arya kills this Night's Watchman and like throws his body in the in the river. You know, but gets in trouble for it. You know, from the Faceless Men because what are you doing killing a random person, especially one attached to Arya? You know, you're no one. And no one told you to kill that person. You know what I mean? So, if we infer that from the show and the books, then it's possible, well, a lot of us are thinking that Marin Trent's coming. Maybe she tries to kill Marin Trent instead of a black brother. And this would cause a problem because this is from Arya's from life. Arya's list. Right. You know? So a whole other reason for the faceless men to be like, hey, you're no one. Stop, you know, if you're going to be Arya, be Arya and go on about your business, you know. So, that's all I'll say about it, which is a lot. That's pretty spoilery. Like I said, that's more spoiler than I like to usually get, but, you know, not not massive but character We can both attest that we're not going to see Sam at Bravos, or I definitely don't think we would see that, so. I, I don't assume so, but I won't put anything past it. Yeah, that that's that's out there. Uh, there's no doubt. <laughs> that's way out out there. Um, we had a uh, well. Go, you did book comparison. Go go ahead and keep doing the book comparisons, and we'll roll into the other part later. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think what my other one was. Oh no, I know what it is. It's the Melisandre John type of deal. Now this is not a huge book. Oh, is difference. this the naked scene? This is the naked scene. <laughs> uh which doesn't happen in the books. Okay. 
Well, I'm sorry. That's too bad. I mean, <laughs> Jon Snow or Kit Harrington got to hold a mighty fine B-plus cup there. Yeah. Um, and Carice Van Houten, I saw on Twitter, she was very pleased with the positive feedback she got you know, on Twitter. Everybody saying how the scene was wonderful. And uh, Oh, yeah. There's nothing sure. better than having 100,000 pervs say, we love your titties. Yeah, I'm sure the spank bank was overflowing. <laughs> with <laughs> spank. <laughs> massive, massive amounts. Uh, but not in the books, Melisandre's not as blatantly seductive to John. Now, she is always showing up randomly and talking to him. She's, you know, she's kind of just pushing him and pushing him and trying to explain to him. Oh, so in the book, she doesn't throw her hooter on everybody and just, you know, no, get what she wants. She's not just some freak for bastards. She doesn't oh, have a fetish God. for the bastards. Got the golden taco. And yeah, she's just, just not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's all. You know, not not a major big difference, but, you know, it's just not as blatant as is gotcha. the show. And, you know, they throw in a little bit of TNA on HBO because they're HBO. Um and no one's complaining, to be honest with you. Gotcha. Okay, and then here's the big the big difference. And like I said, Selmy and Grey Worm are alive in the books. Okay? Breathing well. First off, Grey Worm is in the books. No one cares. All right? I mean, he's uh, a forefront character and stuff like that. Not a POV character or anything like that. But neither is Selmy. But Grey Worm's just, he's the leader of the Unsullied. That's his job. No big deal. He talks a little bit, you know. He's in the he's in the meetings of her small council and stuff, but he's not a he's not a major player. Not a major player, you wouldn't say. Okay, but Selmy is. Selmy's in all the stuff with Danny. Okay, and Selmy just got with his death. He just got robbed of an awesome scene for him. And like I said, he's still alive, and he got this awesome scene. Okay, where Selmy ends up getting to fight his way through some pit fighters. Okay, where he's going after somebody, and this guy's guarded by the pit fighters you just saw, you know, in the open fighting pits, you know, fighting and just mass murdering people. Well, judging by the preview, could Jorah fill that shoe? Could that be the reason we see him? That's. Like I said, that's kind of where I'm hoping that they're going to allow Jorah to come in and, and, and be the badass, okay? But from the previews, you see Jorah in the fighting pit. Yeah, there's okay? like a one-on-one duel. But that's not what happens with Barristan. Barristan is in the city going to a place, and he has to fight his way through. I mean, matter of fact, he fights his way through a couple of them, and then the big badass pit fighter is in the room and he gets in there and he's like you know i don't want to kill you you know i don't want this to to get bloody any more than it already has you know you're a good fighter we'd like to have you around and the guy just comes at him and he ends up having this awesome fight and just you know cuts him down just awesome sauce awesome fight damn it and it's like you really (laughs) miss that you know so i'm hoping what a letdown I'm hoping, and you love Sir Barristan. Yeah. And he always gets like the short shaft from everybody else. Like one of the other characters in her uh, retinue calls him Sir Grandpa all the time. 
All right, and it's like nobody gives him the respect that he has in Westeros. Okay, right. like in Westeros, everybody knows, but in Essos, it was like it was an, old, an old guy with the sword. Yeah. So when he gets to do that, and you see, and he like proves his badassery, you know, in this ep- this the scene in the books, it's just like, man, that's awesome, and he's still alive. Okay, now he has a badass scene, but not as badass as it is in the book. And he's dead, you know. So it's like, ah, oh, man, you really miss out. But like you said, maybe they replace him with Jorah, which would be just as cool, you know, because yeah, Jorah doesn't have that. Jorah doesn't have that awesome scene in the books. Now, with Jorah has shown that he's a pretty fa- oh, he's good more fighter. than capable fighter, and you know. Certain things get his bloodlust up, you know. Anybody that threatens Danny or puts her in harm's way, you know, you could see him really, you know, thriving in a battle for that, you know. I hope so. I do, I really so. I do too, you know. And and I'll be honest, in the next episode, I don't know what Danny's plan is, but I sure as hell hope it's sick Dario out on the streets, you know. It's time to see Dario not just stab a guy through a wall, but. Get him and his second sons out there and like show them how it's done. Yeah, you want like to see start, ambush? Get you some of this. Yeah, like s- sweeping buildings and taking people out. You know, that's that's what I want to see. I want to see Dario be a badass, like he is in the books. In the books, dude is ruthless. Now, in the books, he has blue hair and he has a purple forked beard and gold teeth and is crazy as hell. But they couldn't do that in the show. Purple hair. No, blue hair. Blue hair. Purple, purple beard. Forked beard. All right. Three forks coming down. And he has some gold teeth. And Danny's all about it. Loves it. Yeah, no. <laughs> not not getting the sexual appeal here of okay. that's my man. Dario is what is it's it's called a Tairashi. Okay. Now these people are known. You know, worldwide, they all dye their hair crazy colors and stuff like that. They're very flamboyant. They're like pirates. Okay, they think Jack Sparrow. A very distinctive people. look. Right. Everybody knows when you see one because they have crazy colored hair and <laughs> set themselves apart. But he, he, he is otherwise though has the two blades with the naked women on them, and he's always like grazing his thumbs across them, and he's always just like. <laughs> Sweet Danny, let me just kill this man. You know what I mean? He's like super, like, you know, boisterous and yeah, absolute nutty. Love it. Love yeah. it. And the, but and the thing of it is, is there's another character with a strong Belwas who's a lot like that as well, and he's a big fat Dalthraki pit fighter, and I, we talked about him before. Right. And uh, so you miss him too. So you, I am looking forward to Jorah coming, and I am looking to Dario getting more badass roles because they got to replace two badass characters. You know, one which is in the show but didn't get the badass scene that is from the book and one of them that they've completely removed who's just a badass. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and that's all I have for the book yeah. differences for this episode. I'm just going to narrow it down to I had one viewer prediction and, we'll, and then we'll call it a show. Um, the viewer came in and said that not a book reader but based on what he says, and this was an elaborate prediction, he says that Stannis is going to be betrayed by his own family. 
Okay. He he says his wife goes bananas. Okay. Um, kills Melisandre. Okay. And convinces the daughter that Stennis, you know, has betrayed her or does something. He says it does something catastrophic where the daughter ends up killing Stennis before he gets to the throne. And Jon Snow is part of his entourage and takes leadership due to his new role um, with the help of, um, what's his right hand's name? Davos. Davos. And John becomes on the Iron Throne. Whoa. That, and I, I read this and I was like, first of all, uh, Steve, appreciate the feedback. R- really appreciate you sending the email and uh, throwing, this, uh, throwing this out there because not what I would ever predict. But I thought it had a cool connotation because this episode showed that Stennis is becoming a likable, lovable character. That's bad recipe. The daughter is becoming likable, lovable. Again, bad recipe. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that are based on how the show runs are going that direction, possibly. Okay. First, let me say this. None of this is in the book yet. I don't know. Stannis is alive. John's alive. Shireen's alive. Salise is alive. Melisandre's alive. Everyone's alive. Okay, so I have no idea. <laughs> but I do like the idea that if somehow John gets into the retinue of Stannis and Stannis were killed, they are playing it up that Stannis sees something in John and his leadership capabilities, and maybe Davos could lift him. And if John got the whole army and the North would obviously back John uh, and possibly Sansa. You know, if that were a big triangle, um, I could see them having a massive force, you know, heading towards. Going back to what we talked about earlier about how I think that Jon Snow has a mystery backstory we don't mm-hmm. know. I think Melisandre sees something. And like when she said to him, John, you don't know, or you know nothing. You know nothing, nothing Jon Snow. Um, which I is think a callback to Egret, which is creepy. More. And. That's why she's helping Stannis lead, you know, help keeping an eye on him and moving him up and like that. Because I don't think she really sees that Stannis is the ultimate power. That John technically has the true blood of whoever is supposed to be a power, and you know, and so on. And so this is you know, another opportunist where she's riding Stannis, you know, the pony until it no longer, and then John is going to be the real forefront. And um, so, I mean, I know his, the prediction Steve's was out there, but it does have some merit. And, you know, and that would be befitting of how Stennis would go would be a betrayal from his own. You know, I don't see him losing in battle and going down or anything like that. It's always been something you don't expect. Okay, that I don't see. Okay, I definitely don't see his daughter turning on him. Okay, but here's what I see from the show's point of view. Okay. That I feel like they're playing up. And like I said, this is the first time you saw some tension between Melisandre and Selyse. Okay? Now, Selyse hates her daughter and is ashamed of her and things like that. And Melisandre tells her, you know, she's got king's blood and there's power and blah, 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 and defends her and defends Stannis. I would more think 
what if Celise attempts to kill Shireen and use her blood for some kind of power, you know, thinking it would be something, you know, that she's providing for Melisandre or something. And then you see Stannis have to kill his own wife, you know. Yeah. And I could easily see something like that. Now, that leaves Stannis alive, you know, to move south. But who's to say Stannis survives the battle with the Boltons or whatever. Maybe Stannis gets down there and he marries Sansa because, hell, he just killed his wife. He's a single man, you know. He's on the market. On the market still, you know. (laughs) And, man, I don't know. I, I don't see Stannis dying from his daughter. Maybe from his wife in some rage fit. But... I don't know. I like where Steve's head's at. I, I could see Jon Snow killing him because it gets into a situation where Stannis makes a decision that Jon disagrees with and one thing leads to another. I don't know. I, I still have a hard time seeing Jon go with Stannis. You know, I, I just don't know. I, that's I where too. the next couple of episodes are really going to be interesting for me. I do too. and But I do like hope that the two bastards face off. I want to see the Bastard of Winterfell against the Bastard of Bolton. Actually have some redemption and some closure, revenge. Absolutely. And doesn't then happen much in the, in the show. Middle of it. Doesn't happen much. I know. I know it doesn't, but to have two possibly unexpected characters meet, you know. And then think about Roose and Stannis. We talk about two super cunning, you know, battle leaders, you know. Two deadly. war minds. Two deadly moves. To yeah. be super feared, you know. That could be a hell of a battle, you know. And Definitely they have be. Winterfell, one of the, you know, best defensive castles in the land, you know. So, could be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. I have no knowledge, so I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Here is somebody else who, um, this is the last thing I want to mention and I'm not a book reader so I don't know and when I read this I didn't understand it but I think I'm kind of since you've explained something um, the, the reader was a girl um, Ashley I think she says based on she was a book reader and she said based on what the show says she says that Jon Snow is the love child of Rhaegar and the aunt yeah. and that Ned Stark raised him as his own to make to make sure that he didn't get killed because of Robert's rebellion. Okay. This is a popular theory, honestly. Okay. Um R plus L equals J. This is called the is the name of the theory. It's very popular. Um and it makes a lot of sense, you know, that he's he is a Stark, half Stark, half Targaryen, possibly and that Ned, with his honor, would, you know, take the hit to protect the child, you know, from Robert, you know, killing it, you know, and his friend, really, his best friend, and his sister, you know, I mean, it's, it'd be a tough thing, you know, and you could easily see with, with as classy and honorable as Ned was, that he would take that hit from his wife and the hit on his honor to protect a child, raise him as his own because that's actually his nephew, you know? And it is his blood. And by calling him a snow, 
a bastard child, it protects him from people realizing he's a Targaryen. Yeah, and my main thing to, to know that he's a Stark to me is all the Stark children are wargs. You know, they all have the wolf dreams and, you know, Bran, you see more blatant. He's like very powerful warg. Uh, and you see him in the people and his dire wolf and stuff like that. But then you see John. He's in uh, Ghost every once in a while and things like that. He doesn't even know he's doing it. You know, they're like dreams. And a lot of people think that Rob, when he was fighting, you see a, a battle from uh, Grey Wind's point of view at one point. And a lot of people think, oh, that's him. You know, whether he knows it or not, he's working into Grey Wind and he's fighting, you know. And, you know, you haven't seen Arya's direwolf in a long time because you threw rocks at it and told it to leave to protect it. You know, but in the books, Arya has dreams constantly of Nymeria. And what's hmm. cool in the books is Nymeria is a wolf that's a massive alpha wolf. And she holds a pack of hundreds of other wolves and they just roam the countryside mass killing you know but they kill wow. bad guys like if you come into the northern woods they'll kill you you know so it's I think John is a Stark somehow okay. whether it's from Ned or Lyanna and, and Rhaegar I don't know because there's no proof well there there's all kinds of circumstantial evidence that could lead to be Rhaegar and Lyanna, okay? But there's nothing like just set in stone yet you know, that says that's right. the case. Nothing concrete. Right. And and Ned doesn't give anything away. You know, when he's talking to Robert about who the wench was that he, you know, lost his honor to, he tells him he'll never tell him about it, you know? And Robert seemed to know the name of the girl at one time, but just forgot. But that could have been a lie, too. Well, he's a drunk. So. But R plus L equals J is the most popular theory on uh, John's lineage okay. and where he comes from. Well, I learned something tonight. Uh, bro, that was kind of it. There was a couple other things, but nah, I think we're neck deep into an hour and 40, so we're going to call yeah, it Yeah, this that. is good. Um, good. Guys, really appreciate some of the feedback. Keep hitting us up um at bleed tvd uh i'm sorry at bleed tv podcast on twitter um and bleed tv podcast at uh gmail keep it hitting us up really appreciate it uh, we're four in number five's coming really looking my chops for it but uh other than that i think we're gonna call it and then uh this bleed tv and i'm zach and i'm jake see you bye